And uh, do you remember how this went down? No. God damn it. <laughs> God damn it, God. I was warming up my breakfast burrito, I think, during this part. Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Now, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of June 2022, and it is a VHS cover month, yeah. is what we're going to be calling this. So, uh, Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong, but basically the general concept for this month's programming is that uh, all of our picks are going to be based solely uh, on the strength of the cover art, the boxed cover art uh, for films of the VHS era. Yeah, this is a real fuck you, mom and dad. We are renting these tonight. Uh, yeah, we're picking movies that we, that you and I saw when we were kids uh, in the VHS store that we thought looked really awesome and really cool, um, but we never really got around to watching because it was just something our parents shut down. So we just inevitably, you know, re-rented Mortal Kombat. <laughs> I mean, more often than not, uh, in my case, it was probably Tremors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mortal Kombat was a watch at your friend's house. Oh. Uh, we never rented it, except for the one time. But mm. Tremors was usually my go-to, and you better believe Matt was not happy about Tremors for the fifth fucking time. He was like, it's like dude, we you only get the right to like pick a movie like once a month or once every couple weeks, and you keep picking Tremors? <laughs> Come on, man. Get some variety in there. Um but yeah, actually, this this idea uh, for an event month has been floating around uh, between you and I for a good long while, probably since we started the fucking show. Um, so it's really nice to be getting around to it. Plus, you know, a little bit of a tangent, but I, the the cover art aspect of, of drawing in viewers is mm. something that I think you and I both like mutually very much miss. Yeah, yeah, we're suckers for that too. Yeah, uh, Kyle and I, uh, we were very fortunate to have Scarecrow Video pretty much in our backyard up mm -hmm. here in Seattle. Um, it's basically a place where you can find virtually any movie under the sun. <laughs> it's so it you can find any movie under the sun that I called to see if they had this movie there, and I got the bitchy guy. And I was like, yeah, so I'm looking for the Deadly Spawn. Do you have that available for rent or buy? He's like, well, we definitely have it to rent. Like, I was fucking stupid for asking. Like, what an asshole. Yeah, I, th I think the way Kyle referred to it was he, he basically hit the tone that that a horror aficionado would hit if you were to ask him, do you have Scream? Yeah, more or, or Halloween or something. Yeah. It's like, oh, bitch, please. <laughs> like, you can hear the eye roll on the other end of the phone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're fortunate to have Scarecrow, and part of the, the pleasure that comes with having that wonderful location is that you get to peruse the aisles. Mm -hmm. You get to walk up and down the aisles of a gigantic, probably, I think it's advertised as the largest collection of physical media available to the public. I've never been to a video store in my life that's as big or has that extensive extensive of collection. I think you're right. It is the biggest in North America. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there's a museum that surpasses it, but in terms of like 
video rental. You can and, go and print this. Yeah. Yes, yeah. you can actually take these home with you. Mm. Uh, I, I do believe it is nationally the largest one available in the entire country. But um, the experience of just walking up and down the aisles and picking something on gut instinct, just mm. like that looks neat. Yeah. Now, that sounds neat. I think I'm going to take that home. That that's a that's a lost experience to, I guess, future generations, as far as I understand. Because like, I don't know if you've had this experience, Kyle, but some of the shit uh, that pops up on streaming services as you're flipping through, like some of the still images mm-hmm. that they use to advertise these things, and some of the fonts and stuff, it's like, did we have an advertising budget? <laughs> no, Netflix is the biggest uh, is the biggest problem. They their thumbnails, whatever they do to advertise films, I'm like this is awful. They they terrible. They do terrible marketing for those films. I I I don't know exactly how this works, but I, I would not be surprised at all if maybe they just scrub through the movie and just arbitrarily just select a screen capture from it. Because yeah. I've I've seen some where I, I had a chuckle on the couch with the girlfriend where I was like. I know this movie, and the person that they picked, the screen grab that they used to advertise this movie, that person's in one scene. Like, they, they have very little to do with the actual film. I almost texted you. I would think it was on Prime, and they had a picture of uh, the T-800 from Terminator 2. Not Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I believe it's a shot of his stunt double. They ended up picking a picture, they ended up getting a shot of his stunt double, and I'm like, that is not Arnold Schwarzenegger that they have on that. <laughs> Oh, whoa. I mean, in terms of selling point, it's like, I mean, what else do you go with? Like, it's like it's Arnold or bust, honestly. Although, you know, in these progressive days, maybe Linda Hamilton would be the person that you'd want to put on a T2 poster or something. I mean, she is arguably the main character of that movie. Yeah. I mean, she makes a a late entry into it proper, but it's mostly her story. She's Mm -hmm. the fucking narrator. She does does a lot of work in that film. (laughs) The whole time she does, yeah. Yeah, but. the the cover art aspect of this discussion is, is something that's it's really it's really special it's something i really do miss um and i i do think it's interesting to know that like it's not the case today but like the release period for for the majority if not all the movies we're going to be talking about this month was a time when especially in the direct to video circuit your box art was all you had yeah like that that was the one way you had the means to grab an audience was you had to have a snazzy cover and it's very similar to like the the comic book industry where it's like if you're going to spend your money on anything maybe make it the cover because Mm. back in the day that was that was the way you could ensure somebody would at least stop in their tracks and give it give it a ponder like maybe consider picking it up now it's not as important because you can release seven fucking trailers for the same movie and pretty much tell the whole story that's how we market films now yeah and and also we we uh have the the FOMO effect of creating these wide-spanning franchises where you you as a consumer feel guilty for for sitting out on one of these chapters. I have to watch the newest Jurassic World. I don't want to, but I have to. You have to. You have to, Kyle. <laughs> I, I feel it too, especially since you and I, I think, across multiple episodes at this point have shit talk the marketing that thing over the coals yeah (laughs) yeah jurassic park jurassic world excuse me excuse me yeah uh dominion uh the marketing for that looks fucking terrible (laughs) i didn't even laugh like i did at aquaman Uh, aquaman aquaman at least has the ridiculousness factor where it's just like they know it's dumb they're they are making it dumb Mm. and i kind of appreciate that (laughs) whereas this one it's like I don't know what I'm supposed to feel. I think they're taking it seriously. <laughs> I think they are, and I, th- I think like when they slip in those those shots of 
Ian Malcolm waving a, a flaming torch, like kind of like he did with the road flare in that first movie, I think they think they're clever. One more thought before we <laughs> before we have to get off of this, but we have to. Why did they continue with? Why did they first start with Chris Pratt and communicate with these uh, animals, and then just like no no no, we're gonna hit the gas on that. We're really gonna explore this because it's front and center in the new trailer. Well, maybe maybe you have a different opinion about this, but. Like, the thing that's always bugged me about the Chris Pratt, quote, storyline in the Jurassic World movies is that raptors are dogs. Like, in Jurassic World, raptors are dogs. Yeah. In Jurassic Park, raptors are fucking demons. They're nightmares. Yes, (laughs) they're nightmares on two legs. They are hell spawn. (laughs) They are hell spawn birthed from Steven Spielberg's imagination to terrify children. I just watched it last night. Yes, they're they're (laughs) terrifying. They're mean they're awful. Yeah, that, that whole 20-minute sequence is terrifying. Yeah. But in Jurassic World, they're dogs. Yeah. And people have a thing about dogs where all you, all you have to do to create an emotional connection, an unfair emotional connection where it's like, I know what you're doing, screenwriter, is make something, like, it doesn't have to be an actual dog, but something analogous to a dog. Mm-hmm. And then people are, they're in. Or it's like, oh, they kicked they kick the raptor. Vincent D'Onofrio was mean to that raptor. I, I need to see him die. And now we have this thing with my boy Blue, where Chris Pratt has to. It's about it's a it's a boy and his dog. I hate it so much. I hate it so much. I'm gonna go watch it day one. Yeah, I'm gonna go watch it. <laughs> okay, so our first uh, film though mm-hmm. that we're going to be talking about that isn't Jurassic World Dominion. <laughs> Not yet. Um, was my pick, um, and I selected this because I actually cheated a little bit. I have seen this movie previous, but. The reason why I watched it was exclusively the cover art. Um, and this movie is The Deadly Spawn from 1983, also known as uh, Return of the Alien. No, Return of the Aliens, colon, The Deadly Spawn, or The Return of the Aliens, Possessive, Deadly Spawn. Again, from 1983. And um, this is directed by Douglas McEwen. McEwen. Um, and uh, the cover art for this one was something that I ran across at a good old mom and pop VHS rental store. I think in like Cannon Beach, like in Oregon. Oh, really? Somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I was on vacation with the family as a youngster, and uh, we went to a, like a mom and pop rental store. And I rounded. I remember distinctly rounding a corner. The, the porn section was over there, mm. but I rounded the corner. I was like, oh, I know what those beads mean. And I, so I was old enough to know what the beads meant. <laughs> the bead curtain. Yeah. Um, and I rounded the corner, and I could be misremembering, but um, I seem to recall this one having a big box VHS display, hmm. which, if you've never seen it, folks at home, uh, is quite something. Uh, the only other big box I remember was um, a friend of mine had Silverhawks on a, on big box VHS, um, and I seem to remember some Ninja Turtles uh, big boxes as well, maybe some Transformers as well, uh, okay. in the kids section of our uh, local public library. Um, basically, a big box VHS cover was um, a, a very easy marketing tactic. You just put it in a bigger box and, and showcase the art, and you know naturally somebody's gonna grab it because yeah. it looks big and important. Um, but regardless of whether it was a big box or not, the cover art, uh, the the painted cover art of uh, the Deadly Spawn, grabbed me as a child. I was like, holy shit, that looks scary. Um, and you should definitely look it up, folks. Uh, it's it is a very striking cover. It has very much a uh, authentic B movie vibe, which is appropriate considering the actual content of the film. 
Um, but it puts on full display, like Big as Life and Twice as Ugly, the uh, the titular Deadly Spawn. Like the monster is on the cover, so the monster was very much what they knew was going to be the selling point for the movie. And if you ask me, uh, they mostly delivered because uh, what's on the cover is pretty much what's in the movie. Uh, which is kind of shocking because that's not always the case when it comes to this era of advertising monster movies. I mean, this was, I mean, better execution than Leviathan, in all honesty. <laughs> well, that's what's weird about that movie is that Stan Winston worked on the effects for that one. and uh, You never see it. That's the problem. It's like, if you see it in still images, it's actually really good. It's yeah. just the way it's shot and edited. And, like, more more important, the way it's edited. Like, they cut away from that thing so fast that it's, like, it's like barely comprehensible at times. You've seen Norm's wife on Cheers more time than you see that <laughs> fucking monster. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, Kyle, uh, that's my story behind my, uh, my first experience in, in seeing the cover for The Deadly Spawn. But... Were you at all aware of this movie in any way? Uh, none. None whatsoever. And also, you're kind of... You should... Red flag if you're watching a domestic film with four different titles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, that's very true. Normally, that's reserved for, like, uh, the cinema of Italy. Yeah. Uh, Foreign <laughs> films. Yeah. We had to translate. There's a different translation. It could kind of go two ways, but here's the two different translations. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Zombie 2. <laughs> Brain Dead, Dead Alive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's a very good point. But uh, So it sounds like Kyle came into this one totally blind. Totally blind. Yeah. Uh, I did end up watching this one probably uh, early in college. Um, I just remembered the cover art, very much like we're doing this entire month. I was like, you know what had a cool cover? And you know what I've seen having articles on, like, Bloody Disgusting and Fangoria and stuff? Sites that I used to frequent back in the day. Um, the Deadly Spawn. So I checked it out uh, via the <laughs> school network or some shit. Uh, and I had a good time with it. And so I thought it would be a good uh, starting point for this uh, this month's festivities. But um, Kyle, would you... Uh, would you care to give a plot summary for The Deadly Spawn? I mean, it's a pretty dirt-simple film in a lot of ways. An alien species um, lands on Earth, crawls into these people's basement, takes out a good chunk of them, um, and ultimately is destroyed. Is that is that pretty good? I mean, it doesn't get more succinct than that. <laughs> <laughs> We're in just a house pretty much the whole movie. Yeah, this is a ultra-low-budget affair, although, as I said, the uh, the creature and some of the makeup effects are punching somewhat above its weight, if mm-hmm. I'm being totally honest. But oh, yeah, yeah it, it mostly just takes place in a single house. There are a couple of scenes outside of it. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's a very dirt-simple, like kind of like a siege movie in some ways, but... Uh, it has a lovely like B movie throwback vibe to it that uh, for me personally I don't know if this is the case with you Kyle but um, that that's like a warm blanket for me I I watched a lot of those black and white atomic era B movies uh, back in the day like when I was a little kid when I was obsessed with Godzilla and stuff and to this day it's a I don't know it's a format that that really feels cozy to me personally how about you no not at all uh, <laughs> not even a little bit. Uh, no, this was uh, this was tough to watch uh, for the most part. Just like trying to stay focused, it was easier to stay focused on this one because it's because it is so quickly paced, um, as opposed to other films that we've covered that are ridiculously long and hard to engage with. Um, but yeah, this one was uh, it wasn't too bad. But yeah, this isn't this isn't my. Uh, I'm not of this level of high f- or of uh, horror sci-fi where it's like I can go through the B stuff and like pay attention. It's okay, really well, challenging. More what I was getting at was. Not not so much like the, I guess the, I don't know the the budget level 
and and like the quality of the writing and the performances and stuff it's more just the tropes of of the genre itself like this the plot progression is very very familiar to me like the the opening beat of this movie is essentially identical to the blob mm. um and many other atomic era movies okay. and stuff um, i haven't seen the blob so um i mean we did a we did the original blob and uh and the blob remake with uh, your bro yeah with nick uh thanks nick appreciate yeah. that but uh made it helped me to potentially conquer my fear of the blob 88 because that that movie has a couple scenes in there that just wrecked me as a child <laughs> but it was it was at his insistence that we reviewed the blob 88 and i'm glad we did it because that was a great episode long one too um but i actually did take it upon myself to rewatch the original blob the steve mcqueen steven mcqueen starring blob i don't think steve mcqueen <laughs> Directed the original blob. No, I mean we do have a contemporary director named Steve McQueen, but no, this yeah, was yeah. this was like I think Steve McQueen, the actor's uh, debut, and uh, at the time he was going by Steven. Oh, but but uh, yeah, this this opening sequence is very much like the like the core DNA of of these types of monster movies, and for me, it's like I don't know, monster on the loose movies are my fucking favorite, especially when they take place in small towns, like case in point, Tremors. Like that's that's a you know hell comes to a small town kind of story, I really love that shit and uh, them is one of my personal favorites as mm-hmm. well, um, especially considering like how how patient they are with the reveal of things. This one gets fucking rolling immediately, but them it's like no we're gonna we're gonna spend about thirty minutes farting around in the desert. Yeah, them was really good until I got to the giant ant. I'm like okay this is <laughs> this is silly. Well, All right. Remember I saw that movie when I was obsessed with Godzilla and could totally stomach a black and white experience without any objection so like the hokey ants didn't bug me at all in fact they were why i was watching the movie i already knew they were in there like that was spoiled for me because i had a a vhs tape called a fantastic dinosaurs of the movies that was just like a a 60 minute vhs tape of nothing but b-movie trailers uh for monster Mm. movies um so that's probably where my love for the the genre kind of grew from not only Godzilla, but that that tape in particular, and them had a trailer on there. Um, anyway, you want to get to the movie proper? Sure. Okay. Well, uh, we can probably just go front to back on this one because it is dirt fucking simple. Yeah. Um, there's not a whole lot of thematic depth to it, um, so there's not a whole lot of deep probing or, or heavy consideration that needs to be given to any particular scenes or ideas at play. There are plantings and payoffs. There uh, are. There absolutely are. In fact, uh, the strongest beats in this movie, I think, are the ones free of dialogue. Uh, there's some really, really solid visual storytelling uh, in, mm-hmm. a, in a handful of scenes. Not the whole movie, but a couple of scenes here. Um, I, I was applauding. I was like, I don't remember this being that engaging, like that good. Yeah, uh, I was really impressed with the uh, the practical effects. And I'm not talking about the giant creature. I'm talking about the little things. I think what they do um, filming the little things are really, is really good in this movie. Yeah. Uh, well, 60% of it. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the, the tiniest versions of them, the mm-hmm. wiggling is 100% like feels authentic yeah. like it feels like they put a, <laughs> they put like they put a speedo cap on a tadpole like it, it looks like a real organism this, moving this movie's like a catch-22 it's like it had the potential to be really good had they had you know better equipment to work with like just for filming like just like better actors and stuff because the practical effects and what they do with it are really good but the movie's not corny enough to be a bad movie it's it's in this weird little limbo 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, there's there's a lot of these weird, drawn-out dialogue scenes that you're expecting it to have that kind of, like, otherworldly vibe where, like, the dialogue is really unnatural or mm-hmm. maybe the performances are too big. But it's like, no, we're playing this really straight. Close to the jest, it's, it's really... Yeah, it's like you you kind of want it to be worse than it is yeah. at times. I was I was kind of I was kind of upset with it. I'm like, I really wish this was way stupider, but I'm like, it's pretty good execution. It's like this, this movie's fine. This movie's fine. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually I when I saw the cover for it, I'm like, Mystery Science Theater had to have done this, but they they have not done this. It's one. because it's not dumb enough. Exactly. Like, it's not bad enough. So I'm like, it's like, what do we do with this? I'm like, how? <laughs> this is totally up in their wheelhouse. This is a hundred percent movie they would do. But then I was watching. I'm like. It's not dumb enough. It's like, God damn it! Like the violence is like a little too intense, so it's like hard to make light of it. And then like the dialogue scenes are a little too dry, so it's like you can't really make fun of it. So it's like, what do I do with this? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we... like if your producer handed you, like if you were a writer on that show and the producer handed you that movie, you'd be like, fuck! <laughs> like, what, do, what do I do with we this? We gotta really dumb dumb this up. Yeah. Yeah, it's like hit the bottle really hard. Yeah. We'll make this a really dumb loud episode. Yeah, but anyway, uh, our movie begins in a classic B movie fashion uh, with a, shi- a shitty matte painting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a shitty matte painting of like a night sky, basically out in the woods. Um, and as so many movies that this movie is paying homage to, very explicitly, even the font has kind of an atomic era monster movie vibe to it. Um, a meteorite falls to Earth, uh, which, as I said, is the beginning of the blob. Um, it's the beginning of many, many, many types of these movies. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a classic genre trope. I I, I love it. Um, and then we have two dude campers. They're just like, whoa, it's a meteorite. <laughs> They're probably the two worst actors, but they get very little screen. It, I, they're in and out. Not a single actor in this movie, except for like a PA, uh, has like any sort of photo or like a extensive filmography. I think the oldest son, he is the one who's actually still been working. I, yeah, there's not a whole lot of known faces in this. <laughs> as recent as 2022, so he has been working. You have never heard of anything he's done, but he's still working. Yeah. Uh, so you're not really going to recognize anyone except maybe him. Uh, but yeah, these two, my immediate suspicion was maybe they're part of the producing crew or maybe a writer or a director or something. Or I didn't bother the- to check. Or theater buddies. I mean, yeah, that, that's uh, apparently the background of, was it the writer? The director. The director. The director. Uh, he, he has an extensive theater background. I believe it continues to this day, so I wouldn't be surprised if we're working on this low of a budget. Yeah, maybe brought some of his theater buddies onto the set one day. I think this was just like, it, we, I read on IMDb about biography. Basically, he was just like, he was really into B-movies, I'm assuming, and he just, he filmed his own little B-movies with his uh, brother at the time. So I think this was just him like, I'm going to do it. I, I have the ability. I know enough people that I can put this together. I'm just going to make my B-movie that I've always wanted to make. Yeah, and he didn't really keep up with it, at least in the film world. Maybe he has revisited these ideas um, in his stage work, but, um, you know, hats off to the guy. Yeah. I think if, if this is the only movie you're going to make, you did a pretty good job. Totally fine. Yeah, and also, like, the, the amount of love expressed for the genre itself like is is thoroughly evident on the screen. You can tell that this is a person who in, really, really enjoyed these kinds of movies. We don't have to discuss it, but did you know there's a sequel to Salt Lake City Punk? SLC Punk? I seem to remember you pointing that out to me, but... Watch the trailer. That's all you need to do is watch the trailer. Are there any familiar faces in it? Oh, there is. There is definitely a familiar face in there, and you're going to be like, well, that doesn't make any sense, but anyway... Yeah. I'm going to be deeply disappointed if it's not Chris McDonald. Oh, it's Bob. 
Oh, it's heroin, Bob. It's heroin, Bob. Okay, okay. <laughs> that's all. That's all. Uh, that's a surprise. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. No. <laughs> if you've seen the movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, these two dude campers—they're they're just like in a tent out out in the woods, and they're both terrible fucking actors. But um, they do what you do in America anyway when a meteorite crashes to the ground. Got to go sniff it out. Yeah, you got to go look at. It. You got to go poke it with something. <laughs> Like that's what you do. What is this? Oh man! You just got to touch. Got to touch. It. You just got to. Touch it. Um, but yeah, they head out to the fire crash site, uh, and the one dude excuses himself to go like grab a camera or something, and uh, we get our first kill. It is off screen. Um, I called him glasses dude because he has glasses, and yeah. this is only scene. Uh, he's killed off screen. We see his glasses fall on the ground and get splashed with blood, yeah. and a. Uh, the sound design in this movie is it vacillates back and forth between being shockingly good and outright terrible mm. and this is more in the terrible camp because the chomping sounds what's meant to be like flesh tearing is very clearly a man ripping a pair of khakis in front of a <laughs> microphone it's like that that is fabric tearing that doesn't sound gooey enough to, to sound like icky or, or disgusting well they did better than weekend at bernie's i can tell you that much <laughs> are you talking about the adr the constant adr in that yes. film yes well it's funny actually my buddy who was in film school he always pointed out like, like if you want a solid indication for a troubled and or like i don't know <laughs> apathetic set adr couldn't even get through i can't even rewatch it because it drives me nuts yeah it like it is one of those things if you're at all clued in on on what what that entails it it's bothersome yeah it's very irksome um anyway uh the other dude uh, while he's in the tent looking for the camera he is attacked again from off screen we don't see it um we get more of that fabric ripping sounds um and we get what i think is supposed to be a jump scare it's not very effective but the camera kind of like pans around to the other side of the the tent sheet and then his bloody arm shoots out of the tent, and there's like a music sting. Yeah, like a like something like that. Um, and there's also like a weird jump cut, uh, which is a editing flaw, like an outright flaw that I noticed a few times in this movie. That, it, you know, sometimes you can't help it, but when you when you see it, it's like, oh, somebody fucked up. Like like that that should not be. What I'm talking about when I say jump cut is basically like the same angle and you can tell that they just the camera was turned off and turned back on at some point oh yeah so it's like the framing jolts a little bit it's meant to be a single continuous shot but somebody fucked up or something or they ran out of dolly track or something um and we get some shadow puppets kyle (laughs) like we get to see our alien in a silhouette and uh basically it looks like a, a a mouth like a, a, a toothsome mouth chomping around, and then these little tentacle bits are growing out of its ass. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's numerous tentacles coming out, so I think basically what we're supposed to be kind of being led towards here is that it's multiplying, or at least growing additional heads. Um, and uh, I need to point out the soundtrack here, because uh, it sounds very theremin-esque. Uh yeah, I yeah. like this. I like the opening song. Yeah, I, I thought Kyle would like that. Yeah. Kyle's a sucker for a good theremin. Good theremin. <laughs> I don't know if it's an actual theremin, I don't but think so. I think it's a keyboard with a theremin effect on it. But yeah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> Set your synth to theremin. <laughs> if this was theremin, this is the Mozart of theremin players. Yeah, no, it, it it's a it's always a welcome addition to movies of this flavor. It's necessary. It is. It absolutely is, and I I think it's very 
it's very very welcome in this movie because as I said even the design of the font and I mean we had a fucking meteorite crash to earth it, mm -hmm. it's meant to set the tone yeah basically um, but yeah we have a lot of creepy synth music all the way through the movie although <laughs> occasionally we have these uh, jazz flute intrusions that, that seemingly come out of nowhere <laughs> that I thought were kind of hilarious because they're very out of place but it's like I can dig it like that's not bad um but yeah, dig that title screen. I really do love that font. It very much captures the mood very well. Um, then we got a miniature house exterior, early morning. Mm -hmm. uh, lovely miniature house. Very uh, Beetlejuice-esque. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very much so. There's no tarantula crawling around it, but it, it very much has that feel to it. By the way, uh, I guess now is a good, as good a time as any. You may as well point out this movie did come out in 1983, uh, which, as I was telling Kyle before the mic heated up, uh, Mike, singular... Uh, um, uh, this happened to f come out in an interesting time period because the 80s are very well known for being a time when we're remaking and revisiting a lot of 1950s like B-movie horror movies um, such as like David Cronenberg's The Fly uh, the aforementioned The Blob remake from 1988 um, there are many many others um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers was the 70s, but um, John Carpenter's The Thing came out in 1982, if memory serves. And what I'm trying to get at here is that there was a wave of these things. This came out in 83, which, if you look at the release calendar, seems to be a little ahead of the curve. Because we would be inundated with these B-movie horror mo remakes throughout the decade of the 80s, but not as early as 1983. So well, I think it's really interesting that there must have been something in the air uh, at the time, like just just floating. It's a whizzle, it's a wazzle, it's floating around. There's fairy dust. Um, but this was an early example of, of the trend. I think they were. Tr I think they were, I read something that they were trying to um, trick people into thinking this was an, uh, an alien sequel with one of the um, with one of the things. I think probably the reason why they didn't release this theatrically, because I also read that Paramount almost released it theatrically, was that uh, Alien came out in 1979. So it's like, uh, we're not really doing that with aliens right now. So we're not doing the B stuff. We've kind of revamped this genre a little bit. So this isn't quite the tone we're going for with our alien movies. Well, speaking of, of giant franchises that, that throw FOMO in your fucking face uh, every couple of years, uh, <laughs> uh, something that I've, I've really enjoyed exploring with the girlfriend is uh, we she and I, I, I showed her Alien and Aliens. We'll probably check out the other ones at some point, but the first two I definitely wanted to see. But something I thought was really important to point out to her was that this was an era of film history wherein your sequel was never guaranteed. Like movies were not made to generate sequels as they are today. Now we, you have to, you can't not have a sequel. You have to have a sequel in mind. Oh yeah, you you should have additional scripts like in the queue already. Why would we put money into something that's not going to keep generating money? It's it, really it, stupid. Yeah, no. From a business standpoint, it makes all all the sense in the world. But from a narrative standpoint, it is vexing. Yeah. As an as as a film goer, um, but the point I'm I'm driving at here is that Alien came out in 1979. Aliens, which again, just rewatched it with the girlfriend, had a grand old time with it. 86? 86. Yeah. That's seven fucking years between those two movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're both phenomenal, but that's seven years without an, a follow up to that original Alien, which of course had a host of imitators. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, this came out in 1983, attempting to cash in on the success of something from four years prior, <laughs> and also three years prior to the actual sequel to that film. So it, just interesting time for this movie to come out but anyway 
Uh, we cut from that miniature house to an, an alarm clock, and then we get a married couple, presumably, waking yeah. up. And my note just reads, shitty decor. Mm. Uh, oh, th- awful. This house is hideous. The only thing worse, I would say, is... Um... I would say Ray Liotta's house in Goodfellas when they're really making money and they do the remodeling and you know they're showing uh, they're showing the, the other two like around it's the worst worst living room decor I've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's pretty fucking bad it, it's it's somebody's it, house it's basically just somebody's it, it, old ass house it is someone's house but I'm trying to like picture like is it is it worse than Dirk Diggler's house I think it is uh, it's absolutely worse. Than Dirk house. Uh, <laughs> At least Dirk Diggler's house is cohesive, I guess. <laughs> this this reminds me of one of my great aunt's houses, where it's just like I hate going to his house. It smells like mothballs. Yes. She has a parrot that won't shut up, and it's just a <laughs> shitty old house. Yeah, no, it it is hideous to look at. It's um, one of those old houses that it was built a long time ago, but it wasn't done. It was not a well constructed house. Like this, I would be shocked if this thing is still standing. Yeah, I I, I would as well. Um, by the way. Uh, this this house that we're talking about it is someone's house and yeah. it's one of the producers' houses. Uh, it's Tim Hildebrandt's house and actually if you Google him, uh, he did some amazing poster art. Uh, speaking of VHS cover art, uh, he did some pretty incredible paintings for movie covers. Um, but yeah, he was one of the producers on this film and this was shot in New Jersey in his home um, and it feels it like this does not feel like a dressed set. This nope. feels like we've. A bed and breakfast that, that we knew a guy who owned or something but um uh, we got uh, some partial nudity uh, oh yeah you can't help but have that in a movie of this type uh, from 1983 but uh, the nudity isn't even like it's, it's just a see-through night nightgown it's not even i wouldn't even, i wouldn't even call it nudity it's literally just oh just she just kind of she up. just woke up yeah. but it's like you know we have an entire shot dedicated to her doing a little bit of stretching it's just yeah. like we know why that's right. okay it's, yeah. just, it's you know to wake up the people who weren't impressed by the the shadow puppets earlier <laughs> <laughs> and the theremin yeah um, and then uh, we get a shot of, a, of a, a, my note again just reads verbatim totally not a hose on a window because <laughs> basically it's just a shot showing that it's raining outside oh. and like the way the water's streaming down the window it's like yeah that's a garden hose on a window yeah. I've done that that's fun um, but yeah this guy I don't know his bone structure kind of made me think of like a stretched out uh, Bobcat Goldthwait or something <laughs> like, he has that kind of hangdog look to him um and basically, it's just a husband and wife waking up, apparently to have plans to like do some sort of early activity. So he's like urging her to get up, and he's in his you know slippers and his boxer shorts and stuff. Uh, he runs out to get the paper, and uh, the camera pans over to point out that the basement window mm-hmm. is open. <gasps> Shocker! Yeah. Um, and there's a shit ton of water in the basement. And then uh, our dude, our our husband, uh, he grabs some galoshes. And now Kyle, is galoshes? A word that you you've ever used in your daily life is that something you say on occasion no uh i've said the word galoshes because i'm like what the fuck are galoshes because we never never wore them I, it's an outdated tool <laughs> we don't i don't think we use them anymore but i'm like oh that's what galoshes are but yeah that that's what that's what happened to me when i was watching this movie was i instantly knew what that was I've never said that word but i i, I seem to remember a lot of children's books using that word a lot Remember in the Santa Claus, she says he's on his bed jumping around with 
uh, scarf on and galoshes. Yeah, I, I always remember like parents yelling at their kids to like put on your galoshes. Yeah, where are your galoshes? And so, but it's just one of those things that I saw it and instantly some primeval part of my brain was like, so that's what that. Is. <laughs> that's what those are. I've heard them described. I've heard them described enough that I'm like, that's what they are. Yeah, like. no, it, it was interesting. It was yeah. one of those things where it's like, oh, that's what that is. Um, but yeah, uh, our dude, he heads into the basement. He puts on his galoshes because it, it, there's a lot of water in the basement. By the way, the placement of those galoshes suggests this happens a lot. I was going to say, I'm like, <laughs> this is just back when, the, like, that's just something in, in our old house. It was just like, no, the basement just floods sometimes. It's just, <laughs> that just happens. It's like, yeah, you know, the washer dryer starts vibrating and it chases you. It, it just be- happens. It was before <laughs> basements were cool. Basements were just a part of the house. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, he smells something down there, and uh, I noted that uh, this basement, uh, from an aesthetic standpoint, the way it is shot and lit, is the standout of of all locations in the whole movie. Like, there's a lot of love and care put in the, into the placement of the lights. Um, there's a light bulb kind of like rocking back and forth, hanging from the ceiling that has a an eerie effect to it. Um, but the use of shadows in particular is very effective, where we have these like blasting like halogen lights, like creating these completely just pure sheet black like shadows and darkness mm-hmm. that as a viewer especially like a young viewer you can't help but like be peering into that and like expecting something to jump out at you nothing does but i thought it was really neat like it set the mood really really well uh and then we get yet another off-screen kill mm-hmm. um and it, the sound design here was also kind of weird because like we have this shot like of of our dude discovering like uh, a pool of blood falling down a drain um and it's, we hear like a loud drain noise but i think it's supposed to be the monster growling but because of the way the shots are structured in the edit it's like is that the drain gurgling or is that a monster <laughs> um but uh what did you think of this kill kyle because it, it is like i don't know the first legitimately kind of shocking moment in the whole thing. I don't remember it. Oh, well, well, let me describe it to you. (laughs) So it is off screen. Like our dude gets like knocked on his back and then something runs at him. It's like a POV kill basically. Um, But basically like we hear the, that awful fabric tearing sound. Like it's, I'm describing it as awful because I think it's like just not good. Not that it's like terrifying or anything, but um, just blood flies all over the basement, including onto the hanging light bulb. Uh, which of course casts like red light onto the walls and stuff and just blood everywhere like on the ceiling on the walls he shit on the walls he shit on the ceiling he shit behind the toilet yeah i had two, shit everywhere i had two things that were going through my mind while i was watching it like one i'm like i bet if you went to this guy's basement there are still stains from this because this was the uh, uh special effects um guy this was his basement um the other thing was i'm just like each shot i'm just like i can just hear them go like just silently like now now now, because just like it's basically just someone with a little bucket of blood, just like pff, throw it, yeah. Pff, throw it. Yeah, five, four, three. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> huge. Yeah. So that was what I keyed in on. Okay, well, I thought it was neat. Just the I don't know the willingness to to hold back, like to to hold back the reveal of the yeah, thing. They don't hold back much longer. Not really, but also like when, as we head further into the film, like knowing who these people are. Adds adds an extra layer to things that is a little bit fucked. Like honestly, um, this was, very rare in this kind of movie. This house is like a fucking clown car. It's just like people just keep showing up. Well, yeah, it it actually 
I bring this up seemingly every couple weeks on the show, but it reminded me of shooting movies in high school with my friends, where everybody had to go into the bathroom so they could get killed, so we could clean up more easily Mm -hmm. because you know fake blood and carpet is hard to clean so let's kill them on the tile (laughs) so it's basically just a parade of my friends going into the bathroom and being killed by people (laughs) it felt very very reminiscent of that but uh, mom is farting around upstairs with the cat Uh, she's now decent like she's wearing clothes and shit Um, and we keep cutting back and forth between her fucking around in the kitchen and munching in the basement and uh, we see in silhouette uh, the monster is growing another head um, and mom, mom's getting a smoke before her coffee. <laughs> it was a different time. This is the 80s. <laughs> um, and then uh, mom gets the brilliant idea to head to the basement. But by the way, um, she's not entirely fucking around. Like, these shots do go on too long. But uh, an important thing to note is that she writes something on, like, a, a chalkboard, basically, yeah. that they have up in the kitchen. Um, but then she's like, huh, I better find my husband. Uh, he's been gone a little bit long. So she heads down to the basement. And uh, we, the viewers, see that there's blood on a pipe above her head, but she doesn't see it. Uh, so the camera just, like, makes that evident. And then she notices the blood on the light bulb, which is starting to, like, singe, because mm-hmm. it's a very hot light bulb. Um, it's kind of funny. There's, like, a red paint can down there. So it's like you can... You can see the wheels turning in her head. Like it's like uh, maybe he tripped and he like spilled paint or something. Yeah. <laughs> translucent paint. Yeah, translucent smelly paint. Yeah. <laughs> and she finds one of the galoshes. Um, and uh, Kyle, do you remember this kill at all? No. Oh, you're you're killing me, Smalls. Uh, so we literally we have. Oh, Mr. Arnold. <laughs> oh yes, 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 yes! I do remember this. It yeah. is exactly that. I I took note of that. I, I do remember that. I'm like, oh, Stephen, you mm. definitely watched this movie, mm, Stephen. <laughs> somebody that was hanging around the uh, Paramount uh, Paramount Studios around yeah, that time, Steven maybe. Spielbergo. Mm-hmm. You got some explaining to do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is literally the oh, Mr. Arnold moment from Jurassic Park. Oh, uh, we're not lying. It's that exact. Thing. It's literally that. Yeah. Like. A hand falls. She's like walking backwards. A hand falls on her shoulder, and she's relieved for a second. And then she turns around, and this was fucking spectacular. Um, we get the grand reveal of what I was calling the Big Daddy. Uh, I think they called it the Mother Spawn on the set. I was calling it Seymour. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Audrey but, too. You mean? Yeah, yeah. But it, I don't like that name. Seymour. Seymour. <laughs> yeah. Seymour is easier. Feed me. Yeah. No. It. It. The. The. The resemblance to the Audrey 2 plant monster from Little Shop of Horrors, previous episode, mm-hmm. definitely check it out, um, is is clearly evident. Like, they do bear a strong resemblance to each other. It's basically just a, a eyeless, noseless, just yeah. maw, like a gaping maw of teeth. This one doesn't sing, nor does it speak. No. Um, very impressive creature, nonetheless. Um, the the placement of the teeth and the quality of the, like, the gum work and the teeth is... It's like it's stunning, actually, for the budget level they're working with. Um, by the way, uh, the creation of John Dodds, who Kyle actually did, like, he perused the IMDb trivia and he found a, a funny factoid about where this thing was built and some of the logistics um, oh, that yeah. went into moving it around. They, they had to take its head off to move it around. To... Yeah, so this scene apparently was shot, all of the basement scenes basically were shot in the location where it was built yeah. <laughs> and it's a it's a massive prop uh, it's a massive puppet that it's really cool it's very impressive but 
Um, the problem is it's a little too impressive and it's a little too big. Mm-hmm. Uh, so moving it outside of that basement apparently proved problematic, yeah. uh, which I thought was hilarious. As Kyle said, he was probably a, I don't know, a little too immersed in his work to think about the logistics yeah. <laughs> involved in actually moving it around. But yes, uh, they actually shot these basement scenes in the effects artist's basement, which is very cute. When he you think mopped about. himself into a corner. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, oh shit, give it one too many heads. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this this moment is awesome because we discovered that um, that is her husband's arm, but it's still in the thing's mouth, mm-hmm. and it makes a move towards her, and uh, holy shit. Uh, it it pushes her up against the wall and bites her fucking face off. Mm. Like, just the front half of her fucking skull goes in its mouth. And there's, like, at least one too many shots in the sequence where it's just a woman with, like, bad wound makeup on her face cast in red light, screaming, mm-hmm. after we've clearly seen her face taken yeah. off. Yeah. It's like, it's just one too many shots, but if they had taken that red that red lit shot out of there magnificent kill mm-hmm. and a good scare moment um i really appreciate it um anyway it's morning uh and we're introduced to essentially our main character charlie um who kyle and i both uh, have basically assumed is kind of a stand-in for our director mm-hmm. um in that he also has a strong fascination and affinity for uh, monster movies as we see through like his behavior and his interests and whatnot um very interesting character uh, he's again a little bit ahead of his time uh, this this character of uh, like a, a monster movie enthusiast finding himself in a monster movie mm-hmm. very much like a I don't know an audience proxy character and by extension director proxy character um, but first thing like bright and early in the morning he's just like hanging out in his cool like coolest kids room in the world kids room mm-hmm. he's got nothing but Godzilla movie toys and, and like posters and monster masks strewn about and he's like watching some sort of monster movie on the tv um and we're introduced to his aunt and uncle uh who are in they're staying with his family with his his parents and uh, his older brother um anyway we kind of fart around it for a while after that uh, we do get a call back to that moment where mom was writing in the kitchen and we see that there's a couple of memos written on there one is that she and her husband she preemptively wrote this memo saying like hey me and my my husband are leaving bright and early in the morning so don't expect to see us until late which explains away why nobody's looking for them mm-hmm. um, and then also there's a tiny memo off to the side of that one that says there's an electrician coming that day um, which again contributes to what Kyle was saying about the uh, the clown car house mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's this parade of victims into this basement yeah <laughs> um, Anyway, uh, the aunt closes the basement door, and we hang out in the kitchen, and I, I notice the, the cinematography here feels like we put the camera where we could, because mm-hmm. it's, like, it, it's, like, backed up against the wall, and it's, like, clearly, like, put up on a tripod as high as it can, and it's, like, looking down at everybody, and it's just, like, panning, like, painfully back and forth, because you can tell they just did not have the real estate to do interesting cinematography in this in this kitchen. Yeah. Interesting layout, by the way. Anyway, this is where we're introduced to a. Who did you say this uh, teenage guy bears a resemblance to? Oh, when he puts on his glasses, he looks like uh, Ted Mosby when he's in college with his like whatever is going on with his hair in college and uh, his uh, his glasses. But yeah, he looks like Ted Mosby. 
Yeah, I mean, if you just want to call him Ted Mosby. Ted Mosby. Jed, I, Jed none, Jed of Mosley. These, <laughs> none of these characters have names. No, I, in fact, in my uh, notes, I kept calling him Steve, as in, like, Steve Jobs. Wow. Um, yeah, I think, you can see young Steve Jobs with the hair. I think his name is actually Pete, but sure. I, I didn't pick up on that. You could give him any dude's name, and I would believe you. Yeah. I mean, Jed Mosley. I mean, we already did that joke in yeah. uh, uh, District 13. I think Ted. District 13. <laughs> oh, parkour! Yeah, parkour, parkour. the movie. <laughs> I was thinking District Nine again. We didn't do District Nine. No, no we District Thirty. District Nine. Yeah, the parkour movie. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, we're introduced uh, to Jed Mosley, Ted Mosby, uh, college era Ted Mosley, um, and uh, he's getting a phone call, and we hang out with him for like three minutes. Yeah. Just talk, just yakking on the phone. Yeah. And the fuck all comes out of this conversation, other than planting the seeds for more people coming to the house, I guess. Other than that, he's a smart science kid. Yeah, like he, he's matter. into astronomy. He's he's a science-oriented individual, um, and he has people from his school coming over to study or some shit. Yeah. But more, this, more. this scene goes on and on and on. <laughs> yeah. And also, there's a, a really ugly jump cut where it's just him on the phone, and he's just... Bleh! <laughs> it's like, oh, he's still on the phone. We just turned the camera off for a second. Maybe they ran out of film. I don't know. Um, anyway, we head back down to the kitchen. Um, and the aunt and uncle are kind of talking about Charlie. And it's made clear that, like, the uncle's a psychologist or something. He's like, yeah, this kid's fucking weird. I got to talk to him. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, like, the kid's parents, like, asked him to, like, maybe covertly... Do a, do a session with him. Possibly, yeah. Um, but the, the aunt's like very enthusiastic. She's like, yeah, hey, he's a great kid. He's got a big imagination. He's, he's not fucked in the brain. Um, hard cut to the kid making explosives. <laughs> I thought that was a, that was a cute cut. Because she's like, yeah, he's a good kid. He won't hurt anybody. And then he's like stuffing flash powder into like a wadded up piece of tinfoil or some yeah. shit. It's pretty great. Um, he tries to scare her with like a flash powder explosive explosive in like a Frankenstein mask mm-hmm. and she's not impressed. She's like, Oh, great job. Yeah, Come downstairs and eat raisin bran. Yeah, he, he has the, the little box. Did you ever get the little boxes of cereal, Kyle? I, my parents never bought them. I have had them before, but yeah. It was always just like a vacation thing. I, I remember having them. I don't know when we would ever utilize them. I don't know. Why. I think it was like I think it was novel in like the 70s and the early 80s because mm-hmm. you see this in like movies and TV and stuff where it's like kids are excited for their like single serve box of cereal. Yeah, it's cool. It's a miniature. Yeah, yeah it's mini. It's mini. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what he has for breakfast. It's, it looks disgusting if you ask me. But, yeah. Um, anyway, we have a breakfast uh, between uh, Ted Mosby, uh, Charlie, and uh, the aunt and uncle. Un- uncle with the very unfortunate hairline. Oh, God, it's so bad. It's There's- it's like the, it's like the <laughs> ugliest cast of people ever. Like, yeah, I wasn't gonna say it, but now now that you've ripped the bandaid off, you're dude. People were way uglier in the seventies and eighties. That's just a fact. I mean, in the media, yes, yeah, yeah. People, there were different standards. Well, I've seen. I'm like, I watch this movie. I'm like, I've seen better looking people that have have never done film. <laughs> I'm like, it was in. It was a crazy time when we cast people who were very conventional looking back in the day. Yeah, ordinary people. Ordinary ordinary folks, like yeah. you and me. Yeah. Ordinary flat-butted people. Yeah. <laughs> like yes. Flat butts, as far as you can see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shit. Um, but yeah, Kyle is not wrong. This is a very uh, homely cast of players. <laughs> Man, the hair, the haircuts in some of these people. Just <laughs> Aunt Millie. 
We're still, we're still, we're still riding the seventy. Like this is in 1983, but people still have seventies haircuts for sure. Yes, yeah, it was that, it was that era for sure. But yeah, uh, some unfortunate individuals, really bad, that did not go on to have further careers in the film industry no. uh, for obvious reasons, not relating to their their flat butts, because that was ep- that was that, that was, was an standard. epidemic. That was yeah, standard. yeah, that was that was normal. Um, anyway, uh, we have we have breakfast. Uh, this is where it's revealed the uncle is a psychologist, and uh, Auntie Millie points out that she is headed to Gam Gam, uh, Grandma's house, for lunch. Uh, so she's going to excuse herself from the house in a minute here, and uh, the uncle's kind of like planting the seeds for having a chat with Charlie. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we get a thing from another world reference here at the table, uh, which is of course the film that served as the foundation for John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, also based on the short story, I think, uh, Who Goes There? Um, and uh, we see, we keep cutting back and forth to the basement door, um, and we see the cat, like, get scared out of the basement. Um, and Auntie Millie has a cute line here, what, what is with the basement this morning? And it's like, <laughs> you'll find out in a minute. Um, and we, the viewer, are made aware that the, uh, the parents' car is still in the garage. However, nobody seems to notice that, uh, so they just assume that Mom and Dad have, have left for the day. Um, and on the radio, you can hear uh, the DJ say, it looks like it's going to be a bad day. <laughs> it's like, oh, you have no fucking idea. And this is where we get our jazz flute on the score uh, as Auntie Millie leaves uh, and puts up a sign for the electrician to head directly into the basement, yeah. <laughs> which is pretty cute. Um, and then we get the uh, the conversation between uh, Uncle and uh, Charlie. Mm. And uh, this, is, this is where it felt very probably autobiographical on the part of the director like this again charlie seems to be like a self-insert character for himself um basically this is just this is straight up a session Mm -hmm. where the uncle's probing for like do you have a good relationship with reality (laughs) Like, like these monsters that you like do you believe in them and all signs point to this kid actually being pretty well adjusted like, I, I see a lot of myself in this kid, uh, aside from the scaring people thing. I was never into that. Yeah, I think you could identify with this kid. <laughs> Kyle's looking around the apartment. <laughs> Trevor, Trevor's, house, Trevor's apartment looks like this kid's room. Just <laughs> with different different decor, same execution. 35 years old. Got an apartment that looks like a 12-year-old. Dude, this isn't... You haven't even scratched the surface on uh, on people that are really into collecting. This is totally reasonable. I, I do set limits for myself. It's good. I, limits are important. Limits, boundaries, <laughs> very, very, very important. <laughs> it's like you, you want to keep that relationship. <laughs> maybe maybe uh, maybe don't splurge on all the model kits. <laughs> Just some, occasionally. Occasionally. Um, and yeah, uh, basically Charlie makes it known that like I. He, he's pretty well adjusted. He just really likes monsters and scaring people on occasion. Um, anyway, uh, the electrician arrives and Charlie actually sees him like out the window. He doesn't interact with him, but he sees the electrician pull up and head directly into the basement. Uh, and Uncle uh, posts up in the last location he will ever be seen in this movie. He just he sleeps his way out of the mil- out of the movie. Yes, <laughs> he takes the he takes the lame way out. Yeah, he just posts up and this lazy boy. 
and takes a fucking nap. Dude, he had a cup of coffee and it's like still morning, and he's just like, "I'm done. I'm t- I'm, I'm I'm done for the day." I'm <laughs> so done. I talked to that kid for five minutes. I'm like, done. This is exhausting. Woo! <laughs> no wonder people come become psychiatrists. You get to catch up on your Z's in between sessions. Is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you never leave the chair. I love that scene and what uh, there's something about Mary where he's sitting in the therapist's office and he just kind of like saunters back in and sits in the chair and he had just gotten done with lunch basically <laughs> he wasn't in there listening to him he's like and how does that make you feel like <laughs> he yeah. just like jumps back into yeah. it I'm, i forget what's that actor's name i know yeah i don't know his name um but i know exactly yeah i know that's that. bugging me he's I like know. in every farley brothers movie he's he's wonderful i he's, I, I really love him he's I, great i need to i need to know richard jenkins thank you yeah, richard, richard jenkins. jenkins he is he is a boon to any and all productions he's involved with he he just he gets it like he he gets comedy yeah um, but yeah, that, that scene's terrific. <laughs> that was actually a movie that I watched a lot when I was like 12. I didn't watch it when I was a kid for some reason. Uh, I watched it as an adult, and uh, Matt Dillon, great. <laughs> great in that movie. Not an especially politically correct movie <laughs> no. <laughs> by today's standards. No, 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 no. Uh, but yeah, that, that one got a lot of play mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. Not my house. That was, a, that was like Mortal Kombat. That was a friend's house movie. Hung out with that friend a lot. He had a Genesis. We didn't. We didn't have that. Oh no. Nice. He had a Sega. <laughs> He's got Sega. He's got Sega. I bet he had those parents to let him have Mountain Dew all the time too. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot of Willy Wonka candies. There's a lot of. There's a, there's a bubble. Yeah. A lot. A lot of maple bars and uh, Gobstoppers. Oof. And Sega, Man. which which our household we we were a Nintendo household. Yes. Nintendo and then Sony. <laughs> anyway, uh, Uncle takes a nap and uh, we see that uh, there is a power outage because. Uh, Ted Mosby uh, is interrupted upstairs by like his light flickering. Um, really abrupt music cut around here as well. Um, and we see there's stuff moving around in the house. Like some stuff gets jostled. Like mm-hmm. there's like a vase that like gets jostled. There's some something moving under a rug. It, it the way this vase is jostled, it's like we're we're going the the camera's like zooming into the wall and you can see the vase down the bottom. But it's so obviously just somebody's like. Yeah, just got their hand the, on the bottom. Yeah, there, there's a hand holding the camera, and then the other hand <laughs> yes, with like a broomstick just jostling. It. <laughs> Probably doing that on the set. And yeah. It's like we'll just dub it later. Jack- yeah, jackass. Yeah. There's little things like little things going underneath the rugs. I'm like, what the fuck is happening now? But yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll come to learn what all that means. But yeah, there's movement movement in the house, and uh, Charlie puts on a uh, like a. A red vampire cape. Oh yeah, he sees this electrician go downstairs. He's like, "I'm gonna scare the shit out of this guy." Yeah, I uh, I think he that's the plan. He's gonna yeah. head down to the basement. He's gonna scare the electrician. Either that, or he's hiding for his uncle. Point is, he's got some scaring to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he grabs like an ape mask and a vampire cape. Interesting combination. Nice kid. I mean, that would scare me—a vampire ape. <laughs> shit. Um, but yeah, he heads into the basement with one of those red plastic flashlights that we all had back oh, in the day. Oh yeah, those pieces of shit. They yeah. suck. They suck so they bad. They took like 2D batteries and they the bulb was They fast. lasted for five minutes. They're fucking terrible. Yeah. I have remote controlled cars that lasted longer than those fucking flashlights. Yeah, they, they were heavy as shit and they didn't do anything. Like, remote, they're terrible. Remote controlled cars were the scam of the 90s. The absolute horse shit. Those things would work for five minutes and then it was a complete... They just junked. Yeah, I had like one, mm-hmm. like when I was like 13, and yeah, it was like 10, 15 minutes of fun, and then you got to put it on the charger the whole day. Yeah, and, and then, then it works for five minutes, and then you got to put, yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't buy them. Yeah. Uh, more important, don't, don't buy RC boats. 
Mm. Absolutely do not do that because if it runs out of power and it's in the middle of a lake, uh, Dad's got to hop in a rowboat and go get that. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. he cares about the environment. Sure. <laughs> it's like, no, I paid $30 for that thing. I'm going to get it. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, yep, I'm going to go row out into Duck Shit Lake, grab this fucking boat, and then we're going to come back tomorrow because I paid, goddammit. It makes sense why my parents was like, we're not buying you any more toys. I'm like, why? It's because they fucking suck. They break, <laughs> you lose them, they're awful. They're not sturdy like our tin and our wood toys back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> hey, go use your imagination. That's free. Yeah, here's a here's a, a wheel and a stick. <laughs> go, go nuts. <laughs> uh, my brother and I were huge stick players. We we, we were yeah, stick connoisseurs, if you will. I, I can see it. Yeah, I can see it. <laughs> okay, so anyway, uh, Charlie heads into the basement. Uh, he sees the junction box is busted, and there's blood. He sees the blood on the pipes in the ceiling. Yeah, he's standing in water too. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't he doesn't have none of those galoshes, by the way. No, yeah, he's got wet feet. Um, and this is where I had to just, like, write a fucking novel, uh, because I was so thoroughly impressed with the visual storytelling okay. of, of this sequence. And do you know what I'm talking about here, Kyle? God damn it. I was barely watching this <laughs> thing, dude. God damn it. I was, like, I had my, my, my eyes on the on the TV, but, like, I was barely watching it. Okay. Well, I was basically just waiting for Seymour to pop back up. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's what this is. Yeah. Uh, so, basically, Charlie has a confrontation with... Seymour, as Kyle calls it. Yeah, this is the thread of the movie that makes very little sense to me. But yeah. Uh, well, here you can you yeah. can follow up on on my spiel here because I want to hear this. I'm, I'm curious what 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 angle you're approaching this from. Yeah. So, uh, what I mean by visual storytelling here is that it, it's just shots and and edits. It's just shots and edits. We're just showing Charlie no dialogue, just what he sees and how he reacts to it. So he sees blood on the floor. He sees blood on the ceiling. No words. Uh, he sees a little tadpole-looking thing. It's like got like a pink head. Apparently, this effect—it's so dirt simple, but it looks wonderful on screen. Mm-hmm. It looks like an actual organism. Yeah. Like I totally believe that maybe they just found a weird species of tadpole that happens to have like a pink head or something. I thought the same thing. But no, apparently they they like made a track. So it's like you you put it on a pin and you you carve like an S a wriggly track, and then they just like pulled it, yeah. and it just moved like that and in the water it looks phenomenal um so he sees these little tadpole things and then he finds a severed hand mm-hmm. and again no screams or anything he just sees it and he's not happy about it <laughs> he's pretty jaded i would think yeah i mean i i do give this this actor some credit some of his facial reactions to things really yeah, I, 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 he has an interesting look to he looks like a troublemaker to me like he does look like some kids that i grew up with that were disturbed on some level and were a little uh, kind of like misfits yeah but but he doesn't seem like a sociopath to me it just seems like like you said maybe he's a little hardened to these things he's hardened to these things but kids would also talk a big game and then when shit gets real those kids fucking turn and run pretty quick yeah so i was yeah. like i don't know i feel like as soon as i saw the hand i would be gone yeah, I mean, I would too, for yeah. sure. As, for me personally, yeah, I, he just like I would he, get gone. he takes it in like a fucking a homicide detective. He's just like, huh? Yeah, he's Batman. Yeah, he's got the cape. <laughs> like a, like a grizzled homicide detective. Like, yeah, a severed hand, huh? Yeah, you expect him to like do the thing where you pick something up with tweezers or like a toothpick, and then you like when nobody's looking, you like sniff it or you lick it or something. I was just say he's about to light a cigarette and tell his partner, "Watch your step." Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway. Uh, he walks backwards away from the hand, and then, again, the, the lighting here, it's just pure black behind him. So it's, it's 
like he's blasted with light in such a way that we can see nothing but black behind him. And he walks backwards, and then we see him like bump something, and uh, he pull he like holds his own hand up, and it's covered in what looks like lube. Yeah, how, where, where did that even come from? The monster. But he it, touched it. Oh, he touched it. I like yeah. I didn't catch that because he just he just puts his hand up in a goo. I'm like I didn't know that. Well, I thought maybe it dripped. I off. mean, it can be read like multiple ways because he just saw a severed hand, so he has all the reason in the world to look at his own where it's like that is a hand yeah i got one of those too except it's attached to my fucking body Mm -hmm. um but no he he walks backwards into seymour into audrey too and his hand touches it and gets lube all over it and then he turns around and there's this amazing reveal of the monster because he he shines his light on it as he's turning around and it's like kind of like yawning like Mm -hmm. it's just kind of coming to life before him um, and then he, like, walks away from it and uh, further shines the light, like, further down towards the ground. And we see the top half of the electrician, uh, like, laying in front of it. And all these little tadpole creatures are, like, gnawing on all parts of them. It's pretty fucking grisly. And then he keeps shining the light around and he sees that there's, like, like baby tadpole critters in the ceiling. They're gnawing on wires and stuff. Um, kind of reminds me of, like, gremlins or some shit. But... Um, I think this was actually before Gremlins. Oh, for sure. I think it was like a year before. I think Gremlins was like an 84. Yeah, I think this was before Gremlins. But, um, and then uh, we see that one of the critters is uh, not an actual critter. That was also later. <laughs> um, is uh, gnawing on some electrical cable in the ceiling and it, it catches fire and it falls down. So it's like, ah, electricity and or heat does, does bad things to them. So put a pin in that. Um, and then uh, we see that uh, Seymour uh, has his mom's, has Charlie's fucking mom's head in its mouth. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of, <coughs> anaconda's that. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it winks at him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it barfs his, his mom's head out onto the floor. It's fucking savage. Um, and he, the scene just cuts um, from him staring at the monster in silence. And that whole sequence, I was like, we learned a lot just from like a couple of minutes of just images mm-hmm. like i i really appreciate that stuff but what was your objection to it like like what was bugging you about it? oh he's in the he's down in the basement for like fucking 30 minutes with this thing then all the stuff that's happening in the background he's just still kind of just standing there like the pacing for him being down there just didn't make sense to me you're absolutely right. Uh, I can't argue that. Um, I didn't have a problem with that sequence, though, no. No, you're absolutely right. Um, we did need to get him out of there more quickly. Yeah, it didn't make it like, he's like, okay, the hand. I'm like, okay, maybe you're a kid, you're in a little bit of shock, and you stay down there, but then he sees a dead body. He's like, eh, I've seen it before. <laughs> and then his mom's head, or his aunt's head. or no, mom, it's his mom. It's his mom's head, and you're like, eh. <laughs> I'm like, it just didn't make any sense. I'm like, you gotta react to something, bro. Yeah, he he really does no sell the head. Um, but yeah, I, I thought this sequence was good. But we do have like two or three more of them, and it's like, no, we we need to keep the sense of urgency going. Yeah. But no, we we cut away to teenagers mm-hmm. farting around upstairs. Yeah. And yes, well, I agree with you from a pacing standpoint that there's pretty egregious flaw in the, in the way they structured that. Is this where the the, the boy the, the other teenagers come in with the slug? Yeah, this is where Haystack shows up. <laughs> Haystack. <laughs> Frankie. Haystack, Simone, and uh, Ted. Yeah, so they like, come in like, oh, dude, science, we're going to study for the science thing, but i got to show you something. And she's like, well, it's in my backpack. Let me show you, but let's go upstairs and go look at it in the sink. 
and um, this is where I was kind of piecing together. I'm like, oh, these little slug things are getting out. Like they're yes. not just in their basement. Yeah, um, I, I like this this kind of subtle escalation where it's like we the viewer are made aware that oh they're in the basement but they're not all in the basement mm-hmm. like they're it's spreading like I, I like that how they handle that especially like how innocent their reaction is to it because it is it's not huge and it was dead when they found it so mm-hmm. they don't have a whole lot to be worried about plus they're science students they're intrigued by it they're not frightened mm-hmm. um but yeah she wants to uh ellen is the gal's name uh she she uh she wants to dissect it with a razor um and then a <laughs> smash cut to mom's head being pulled apart, like all the flesh being torn off of it again in front of Charlie. Because why not? Yeah, and he's still just like eh, yawning. Yeah, uh, he has this moment where he turns his head to the side to look over his own shoulder because he's he's staying put because mm-hmm. he's figured out again through nothing but visuals um, and observation that it doesn't know he's there or it doesn't think he's a threat. So he's oh, yeah. just holding his ground, like he it hasn't moved on him. So he's just staying put instead of trying to run. Um, but he looks over his shoulder and we see the basement window is still open like it was at the beginning of the movie so he's like hmm maybe I can get out through that but the light that's casting onto his eyes I called it the he's got that dark man lighting <laughs> like it, it looks like Sam Raimi's dark man like it's it's just this like rectangle of light over his eyes that makes him look like a fucking superhero or some shit <laughs> it's very cool um, anyway we also see a tadpole gets caught in a mousetrap which is Again, makes me think of like gremlins or some shit. <laughs> gremlins, um, and then uh, he he starts uh, experimenting. Charlie does, so he starts uh, snapping with his fingers. Well, you can't snap. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, I can't snap. Folks. <laughs> I was waiting for you to snap. No, <laughs> folks, like... folks, I can't snap and I can't whistle. <laughs> so thank you, Kyle, for for being my proxy. There you go. Um, and he discovers that I can do that on command too. If you need me to snap again, just let me know. <laughs> It's not like an erection. I can, I can, I can do it. I can do it at will. Yeah. Uh, so he snaps, and he discovers that they respond to sound. So all the all the critters snap to attention, including the big one. Um, and there's a really cool imposing shadow cast on him as it starts to move towards him. Because this thing doesn't move well, so any any way we can infer movement is probably going to be more effective than actually showing the thing in motion. So having just a shadow move towards him works better anyway. Um, and he throws his flashlight, and we cut away. It's like, oh, that's that, that's a scene. Um, anyway, we cut back upstairs, and we have this uh, dissection of, of the dead tadpole that the teenagers had found in the kitchen. And uh, again, my note just reads, not quite alien-level effects, because uh, the dissection of the facehugger in that movie, in Ridley Scott's Alien, was uh, really cool. Um, and very engrossing. Like just just watching people probe the innards of this dead face hugger in that movie was it. It's just interesting because mm-hmm. it's really it's a really well crafted prop, and also the uh, level of care put into the performances and treating it as like a real thing to be to be invested in uh, was very effective. But here it's just like well, that's not very impressive. <laughs> like, but there's a lot of screen time dedicated to it, so it's a little frustrating. Um, and uh, anyway, she's cutting it with this razor and stuff. But then we cut to Gam Gam's house. We go to Grandma's house, and we have a bunch of lame humor that I think somebody thought was funny that does absolutely nothing for me. It's a lot of vegetarian humor. Like mm. the running gag is that 
Gam Gam, Grandma, she's a, a vegetarian, and the menu for lunch that day is strictly vegetarian. It's like it's a lot of that kind of shit. It's, it reminds me of uh, the Ninja Turtles and their their pizza toppings back in the day, where it's basically just like rattle off any any number of incomprehensible and or disgusting pizza toppings. Anchovies. You can imagine. Yeah. I mean, that was always the punchline. Not anchovies. Not anchovies. Anchovies are good. Shut up. I had them before. <laughs> they were really, really salty on the pizza. They I tend had. to be very salty, yeah. but they're they're not bad. But that it's funny actually. Like our our generation, anchovies and disco. Like there was a stigma against anchovies and disco. <laughs> disco is pretty silly. Disco's fun though. <laughs> I don't have a problem with disco. I like disco. Yeah. But yeah, there were a lot of cartoons in the '90s that shat all over disco, which tells you the relative age range of the writers for those shows in the '90s. They're probably '60s kids. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, anchovies. Thanks to the Ninja Turtles, every kid was like, anchovies. Have you ever eaten it? No. No. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, this is where we get some discussion between the teenagers about um, is the thing an alien? Mm. And uh, Steve Jobs, uh, he is vehemently against the idea of them being aliens. He thinks it's... There's a scientific explanation for this. <laughs> yeah. Scientific. He's really, he's really scullying this thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, he has a disagreement with uh, Ellen, the gal, his gal pal. Simone, yeah. Yeah, and uh, we get some tadpole POV of of what we presume is a tadpole thing eyeing a sink. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a little lame because we don't see any props. We never see the thing in motion. It's all just inferred through the camera work. It's like, yeah, tadpole really wants to go down that sink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, haystack Frankie. Uh, he leaves the room for some reason and. Uh, Old Ted Mosby makes his move. Oh, He's yeah. He's a smooth customer. So are you with him? She's like, eh, not are really. Are you going with him? Yeah, and then they just start making out. Yeah, yeah, we get the love theme from the Deadly Spawn as they have a little smooch. Because um, that's what this movie needed was teen romance. Yeah, I, I do like the payoff. And actually, there's a story to go with it, so I'll, I'll point it out when we get there. But mm. anyway, we get a sound effect uh, to imply that a tadpole went down the sink. Whoop. Yeah, yeah, it's it's basically that because there's no imagery to to go with it. It's just a shot of a sink that yeah. you may as well just put a plunk on the soundtrack and hope that people figure it out. Oh, by the way, I wanted to to tell you this. So you know when the kid is getting ready to go down to the basement for the first time, yeah. and he's just like, uh, you know, he's about to grab the flashlight, basically. But do you hear that that dripping? That yeah, very very loud dripping. So remember when I told you that my sink was very drippy? It was that. Oh, yeah. There was no way to stop. I finally got somebody to come by and fix it, but it was that bad. Oh, I, I don't know if I'd be able to handle that, bud. I had to start sleeping with uh, ear foamies. Yeah, I, I've been doing that for a few years now. Uh, it still doesn't work. It got so bad when I had the ear foamies and I was sitting there sleeping, and I heard it. I could hear it through the ear foamies. I'm like, all right. I I got up and I emailed my landlord. I'm like, hey, I need you to come fix the sink. Yeah, uh, the thing about earplugs is uh, vibrations. Mm-hmm. They don't do anything for vibrations. No. So footsteps. Yeah. And people with a significant timber or timber in their voice. Punk ass upstairs neighbors. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, we cut away to uh, Gam Gam's house, and we. <laughs> I thought that was the same house. I missed. I missed the cut where it was a separate house. I'm like, this is what I thought. Clown car. I'm like, oh my god, grandma's here too. I'm like, jeez. 
I mean, that's starting to like head into like farce territory. If that's the case, we're yeah. like, it's like, oh no, grandma's here. Oh no, grandma's friends. It's kind of. Oh no, it's Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I was like, man, there's a lot going on in this house. But yeah, it's, it's like, a different oh, house. Oh no, I forgot we're hosting a children's birthday party today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, like I mean, scenes like that, like this this scene at grand at grandma's house, is supposed to be kind of like that, but. Uh, it's not the best example of it, but like scenes like this are are wonderful in these kind of monster attack movies, like like Jaws, any of the beach scenes, like when like Fourth of July weekend, mm-hmm. like the monster comes to like a, a big public gathering or something. Mm-hmm. Those scenes can be so much fun. They do have kind of like a I don't know, like it's a mad 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 world kind of vibe to them, or like a Zucker Brothers movie kind of like over the top farcical comedy kind of like vibe to them, like uh, Alligator has a wedding scene that's fucking hilarious <laughs> like it's violent it's a monster attack at a wedding but we do the the rares of the lost ark thing we do the truck chase thing where it's like if we have an alligator if we have a giant alligator prop and we put it at a wedding what would people expect to happen like mm-hmm. well let's put people on trampolines and <laughs> like like you know stunt people on trampolines getting flung around by getting whacked with the alligator's tail and like Let's have the the limo get squished by the alligator. Let's have the bride get eaten and stuff. And like Piranha has a, a summer camp uh, party. At like I think it's like in a river where a bunch of a swarm of piranhas attack a bunch of kids and stuff. Oh, of course. Um, point in, and like basically all of the Gremlins movies are just an extended version of that scene. Um, but this this sequence at Grandma's house I think is supposed to be the equivalent doesn't quite get there it's okay like it's not bad it's just like it's like it could have been better um anyway it is a different house equally bad decor yes <laughs> i'll point that out um but we, the way we're introduced to grandma's house is hilarious because it's like we see like tadpole pov of these little these little mouths in the bushes and they're like casing her house from the outside <laughs> it's like fucking joe pesci and daniel stern yeah. casing the house before they go in it's adorable um anyway that uh tadpole that went down the the sink i i guess you're supposed to assume it comes out of grandma's uh drain here uh, mm-hmm. in her kitchen sink um and <laughs> she has a, a ceramic giraffe in her living room uh, as well as a, a really ugly painting of some flowers but she has a this long rant about how she wants a ceramic gorilla uh, but thankfully that, that conversation is cut short by her guests arriving because this is supposed to be like a lunch party of sorts and uh, we have vegetarian humor Swedish soy balls and some sort of uh, what appears to be a, a mole uh, crafted from radishes on a platter uh, it reminded me of another stakeout where uh, Rosie O'Donnell has her uh, armadillo armadillo meatloaf mm-hmm. kind of reminded me of that or like a jello mold or some shit stuff stuff from catalogs from the 60s is this stuff. the this is the dessert in another steakhouse he just takes ice cream sandwiches and puts whipped cream on top of them yeah the, that the, sounds actually really good but dennis farina getting pounding it yeah. getting brain freeze was one of my favorite childhood memories yeah like like one of the funniest fucking things i'd ever seen yeah. it was just him mm. <laughs> it's so brilliant I love that. Mm-hmm. I actually own that movie on fucking Blu-ray. Yeah, <laughs> I I had to because I, I watched the fuck out of that movie. Not so much the first one though. I watched the first one. You can skip it. Yeah, I've seen it. I was like, it didn't do. I'm anything. fine. It didn't yeah. really do anything for me. But anyway, 
Uh, we see uh, in like over the course of all the conversation uh, between all the old ladies, uh, the tadpole finds its way into the food processor uh, where it is gremlinized, uh, <laughs> very similar to the gremlin in, in uh, the kitchen scene in that film, uh, where it is put through the food processor. And we get to see all the old ladies take a bite of, of, of it, and their faces are pretty precious. It looks like an avocado uh, uh, um, sauce that I've made before. It looks, it looks like that. It looks like something you'd see on Double Dare. Oh. Like, yeah, it, it has that kind of gacky vibe to yeah. it. Um, but I, I love, again, like, nonverbal. Like, there's no dialogue here, but just the faces mm-hmm. these people are making when they eat the, yeah. the green goop. It's like, oh, that's not a happy camper. <laughs> I needed someone to just, like, and spit it out. But in, all, a di- in all, a different movie, that would have been very welcome. They're all very polite about it. Like, oh, mm-hmm. this is good. Oh, no, what you need to do is the, the napkin. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. and the Into the napkin. Like that. That's how. That's how you do it. Um, but uh, yeah, it tastes like shit, and uh, we get the tadpoles attacking. Unfortunately, off screen, probably a logistical problem in that actually operating these puppets, they're not. You can tell they don't move well. Mm. Like like their mouths move just fine, but they don't have any other mobility beyond that. So you can put the prop in the room and have the actors react to it, but you can't have like. You can't have it like pursue people or like leap at them and stuff. So it's like they're, they're very limited in how they're able to do the pantomime of the monster action and stuff, which is very unfortunate because I do like parts of this. I just wish there was more because um, it's actually pretty cool the way it's put together. Because like Aunt Millie leaves the room and then we hear screaming and she comes back and we see that there's tadpoles chomping all over the room, but they're not really moving. Mm-hmm. And then like Gam Gam's on the floor, and her a couple of her toes are bitten off, and she's got one like like a leech, like a leech, or yeah. like a lamprey or a remora, like attached to her temple. It's pretty gruesome. These old birds are falling apart. Like they are not. Well, the one lady's got one on her on her calf, and the other one's hitting it with a heel. Like the, the old lady, the 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 Betty White looking one with the heels. Like she's no nonsense she's she has killed some roaches in her day this is, I mean, <laughs> this has been a trope in horror movies for a long time it's just like female characters just fall apart anytime there's something but i'm like i've always wanted to see something in real life to see how people actually react to these things because i feel like everybody just starts running but yeah everybody <laughs> they're just like they're just falling down the floor screaming <laughs> well i mean the one does like almost like straight out of like a warner brothers cartoon she gets up high yeah <laughs> she goes and oh she, she stands on the couch <laughs> i've done that when i've been afraid i i so i we had this in my art art class we had these like we had a kiln in one room and then another side room that had computers and my buddy and i were looking up stuff and our school was being renovated at the time so we had those you know those ceiling tiles that you can just push up basically yes. well several of them were missing uh, so it was just because it was like under renovation. Yeah. And um, there was uh, a mouse that lived back there who just had babies. And he's sitting next to me uh, on my left side and right at the computer. And I just see in my peripheral vision this mouse bouncing. I'm like, fuck! So I jump up on, my, I jump up on the stool and I'm like, get it! He is like almost on the ground in tears laughing at me because I'm, it's a, it is a baby mouse. But their little hopping things were just freaking me out. I'm like, get it! Get it, please! And, <laughs> You know, your best friends are you're the worst people you know. So he yeah. was just he was just laughing. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's apparently some science saying that like our our brains are predisposed to have overreactions to skittering. Um, it's just not something we're meant to tolerate. 
They jump. They're nasty little disease creatures that jump. <laughs> and they drag their balls everywhere. They bite. Yeah. yeah no. Like, they drag their balls they, everywhere. They do. No, they, they do. It's like ants. They drag their ass everywhere. It spreads scent. Ugh. So the other ones know where to go and shit. Gross. Yeah. It's, no, it's, yeah, they're, they are kind of fucking gross. They're disgusting little They shits. got cute faces, but beyond that, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, this, this whole sequence feels like it could have been more. I did like when the painting falls down and we see a bunch of tadpoles, like, stuck to the wall, kind of like slugs or something. Mm-hmm. It... it it's almost there. I just I needed something to fly at somebody or something. Just surprise, bitch! Yeah. <laughs> like something like that. The flying rabbit from Monty Python exactly. and the Holy Grail. <laughs> that would have been great. Like, oh so, Jesus Christ! No, just yeah. somebody opens a cabinet and yeah, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And like, just keep escalating it. Where like they, every move they make ends up making it worse. worse. Yeah. <laughs> where it's like, oh, hide behind the couch. Oh my God, they're under the couch. And then yeah. it's like, oh my God, they're in the ceiling fan. It's like it. It fe- it's a really good foundation for this kind of scene it just doesn't quite get there although i did really enjoy that lady whacking him with her heels yeah like because she's like her face she's like "Mm, not in my house it's not even her house she's a take action kind of gal she very much is i I appreciate that she looked like she was having fun on the set but anyway all the old biddies they uh they pack into the station wagon to take off yeah (laughs) like you do um we cut back to charlie they're still in the base oh no it's the older brother uh, no, Charlie's the youngster. Oh, he's still uh, in the basement just Pete, hanging out? Pete is uh, Ted Mosby. Yeah. Uh, but we, like, just see Charlie for a minute. I don't even know what my note says here, but uh, Pete and the gang find Uncle Dead and a whole room full of tadpoles. So this is where Pete and the gang are brought into the drama. So they come to the conclusion, like, you know, un- Uncle's a psychologist. He probably knows about tadpole monsters let's go show him the thing it's kind of like how dr drew gets asked all these questions and like yeah i don't think he's the authority on that guys i don't think he's that kind of doctor <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but yeah they they like bring it into the room into that into that room where we last saw uncle again he he, he napped his way out of the movie yeah because uh, they open that door and they walk in there and we have this grand reveal of a dead uncle um it's actually pretty gruesome because there's like tadpoles all over the room, like under the, like they're coming out of the carpet, they're coming out of the walls. Uh, there's a couple of them that have made homes in his eye sockets. Mm-hmm. Um, and we even get a direct reference to Alien in the form of a chest burster. I didn't catch the chest burster. Yeah, it's like, it's a very explicit reference. But again, the, this whole movie feels like it's it's tipping its cap to any and all monster movies throughout history. Like, movies like this don't need to worry about, like, most horror movies in general don't have to worry a whole lot about ripping each other off. It's almost expected. Like I feel like, <laughs> no, I, I feel like you get a lot more leeway in the horror genre than you do other ones. Where it's like, it's it comes from a place of love rather than like, oh, we better cash in on that. And it's like, no, it's like we we like this. We all like this, and we're all you know, usually not the mainstream. So we're all in it together. Um, anyway, uh, Uncle is very 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 dead. Um, and then uh, we get a reveal that uh, the big daddy, uh, Seymour, Audrey too, uh, has found its way upstairs. And it very nearly gets uh, Ellen. Oh, yeah. It, it very nearly gets her. But fortunately, uh, she catches it. Like, she notices it. And then all, the, all of the teenagers flee into Charlie's room, um, where Charlie is not. Because <laughs> we don't really know where he is just yet. Um, but Charlie runs into the room behind them, and he yells at them to stop because he's the only person in the entire world apparently that knows how these things operate 
like he he's trying to basically like inform them like it it hunts by sound mm-hmm. like if you scream at it it's going to come after you so he's trying his best to communicate that to them but they they close the door and he's not with them uh, so they hide in charlie's room and uh charlie tries to distract or maybe even potentially kill uh seymour uh, by grabbing a radio and plugging it in in the kitchen and uh basically he's using the sound of uh, opera music playing through the radio to try to lure it into the kitchen it succeeds and uh he comes up with this clever plan to like kind of pull it pull the radio by its cord to like lure the monster into the radio and it like chomps down on it and it, it like catches fire <laughs> like like the electricity through the radio harms it but does not kill it and then uh rachel ray shows up <laughs> um, kathy is the character's name um, oh she comes out of nowhere exactly this yeah. was really bizarre so this character named kathy this blonde gal uh shows up and she's like hey i'm here for the study party <laughs> and then they're like whoa kathy <laughs> like did you happen to see the big toothed beast out there it's like no i didn't yeah. no so she she's totally oblivious she has no fucking clue and she keeps ringing the doorbell by the way and so they go to answer the door and uh, ted mosby's like we didn't order any pizza <laughs> but he gets the door and uh they talk for like two seconds in the doorway and then surprise <laughs> like the big, the big daddy thing comes at her and it eats her jacket like it, she very nearly gets killed but instead it, it eats her jacket which she manages to get off just in time and then they pull her into charlie's room as well so now we have four teenagers stuck in a, in a child's room and uh she gets a very quotable line here what the delivery is eccentric mm-hmm. it's like what the fuck was that (laughs) it's very stilted but it's a lot of fun anyway um this is where ted mosby comes up with a plan do you remember the plan at all no so it's not much of a plan it's basically like so i'm gonna open the door we're gonna gonna run into a different room (laughs) it's like good plan let's do that let's do that yeah it's very creative pete thanks so pete's plan is he had we did Maybe that's why that scene is so long. Basically, he has a phone in his room. So he wants to run from his younger brother's room to his room so he can get the phone. Call the police. Yeah, yeah. call the police. Um, so the plan is I'm going to fling the fucking door open and we're going to run into my room. Uh, so they all like get in the line behind each other. It looks, so, it looks really silly where it's like, this is not a good plan like this isn't even a plan this is just flinging the door open and praying mm-hmm. um and uh the choreography of this is is pretty cool actually because like pete flings the door open nobody seems ready for it um and we see we actually see the the seymour creature like in shadow just around the corner so it's just there like so it's like right on top of them as soon as they fling the door open he makes it to his room um kathy and frank so Haystack and Rachel Ray, they go into the attic, so they actually break off from each other because mm. they panic. And Ellen stays in Charlie's room. She doesn't even get out of the room. And so she's, like, yelling for Pete to, like, be careful and stuff. Uh, so our gal, who had a, a, a good, healthy smooch with our... our uh, not, uh, He's not our leading man, but he, apparently he's the only actor who had a career after this. Yeah. <laughs> so may as well be the leading man. Um I, we kind of planted the seeds for like a romance between the two of them. Do you remember what happens to Ellen? No. God damn it, Kyle. <laughs> uh, so 
uh of course uh because she's yelling for pete like be careful like like because she never left the room she shuts the door behind her and uh the seymour beast audrey too just smashes through the door uh it's child's door it's not like super solid or anything so it's like smashes through the door and it just moves directly on her and uh she's uh she has her head bitten off oh nice she is depacketed did not even catch that so our our leading gal gets her head chomped off in front of the dude who just had a good healthy smooch with her and the the, the disrespect <laughs> her head is severed it chomps her head to bits and her body is tossed out the window onto the lawn. Oh, nice. Oh, I was wondering where that body came from. And then from. we cut back to it multiple times. It's so fucking cruel. Yeah. But there's a fun story to go with it. And there's competing stories, so I'll tell them both. So the fun story is that um, this actress uh, supposedly uh, got a different job. Uh, I don't know if it was an acting gig, but she had some sort of... <laughs> Some sort of responsibility. She probably just got a new day job. Oh, so she just got a different day job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, she probably just had her hours changed. Yeah. Um, but apparently she got a different job, which uh, would require her to, you know, stop being a part of the production. Um, so I guess they had to find a way to write her character out of the movie. So uh, based on the way this is handled, uh, going going by that logic, it's like I would not be surprised if maybe someone was a little angry about that. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like we're gonna kill her, we're gonna kill the fuck out of her. <laughs> it definitely wasn't an acting job, I can tell you that. Okay, thanks for confirming. Yeah. Um, but the the other story is that um, that wasn't the case. It was just like they that that's how it was. But I I like the idea of like somebody on the production being pissed yeah. <laughs> like okay you want off our movie our our super awesome deadly spawn movie well guess what we're gonna toss your body out the window <laughs> our main dude okay so i just kind of glanced at his filmography so he did this but he didn't work again until 2011 so he's only recently been continuing working so maybe he just like went to school and stuff and then got back into acting later did like uh, elizabeth shoe or whatever <laughs> oh yeah became a nurse she's in the boys Oh, she is. Mm-hmm. I really like Elizabeth she's, Shue. She's great on the, she's on the great. boys. I like her. Uh, but yeah, Ellen gets her head bit off and her body tossed out the window. Just fuck her for taking yeah. another job. Fuck her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, Pete uh, goes out onto the roof. Uh, neighbors are uh, rolling a bowling ball upstairs for some reason. Yeah, we got to get that turkey tonight. Yeah. Um, so Pete is out on the roof in the rain, by the way. And, uh, this, Dude, he is doing this. Like, he is up on a fucking roof. Yeah, this is the, not a set. Yeah, th- this is an actor on a very tall house on a wet roof. Pretending to f- to fall off. Like, yes. He's, like, almost falling off. Yeah. I'm no, like, please tell me there's at least a mattress down at the bottom. Oh, I, I seriously doubt it. <laughs> yeah, he's doing this. No, he is doing the damn thing. And, yes, this does look legitimately a little dangerous. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's up there in the rain, and uh, he discovers, oh, Mom and Dad's car is still in the garage. Oh, that's the girl that I kind of had a thing for. That's her body on the lawn yeah. without its head. <laughs> he doesn't puke or anything. He's just like, yep, there she's gone. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a strong advocate for puke in film. Like, just give me more puke. <laughs> 
I just rewatched uh, Monty Python: The Meaning of Life. Uh, oh, oh, the the, the king oh, of puke. Oof, that that, that, that <laughs> sequence is disgusting. The pukiest of puke scenes. It's a really good scene, but it's really disgusting. No, I, I'm a strong advocate for puke. I, I feel, <laughs> as a person who has, has spewed many a time in his lifetime, I I I, th- I think strong emotional reactions are prone to prompting puking. Uh, you heard it here, folks. He's a puke advocate. I am a puke advocate. All more right. more puking in film child death as well <laughs> uh so uh frank and kathy are in the attic so haystack and rachel ray are in the attic and uh we have a, a curious little quirk in the production here where it's like we are working on a shoestring budget so rachel ray flings the window open and she see she says they're everywhere and we hear chittering noises and stuff <laughs> but we never see it mm-hmm it's all sound effects and her screaming about it so it's like it would have been nice to have just a shot of a bunch of slug things in the grass mm-hmm. couldn't afford it probably um anyway uh, so we see that and then uh <laughs> for the third time we cut to ellen's body yeah <laughs> because rachel ray sees it and kathy sees ellen's dead body. yeah it's <laughs> so three times so she's it got flung out dead the- she's dead they're dead. They're you will not be in dead. deadly spawn. You will not be in deadly spawn too. <laughs> They're dead. They're dead. They're all dead. <laughs> Shit. Can I go now? Um, Pete comes back through the window, so he's in the attic too, and he's uh, he's a little freaked out. Uh, he's not doing well. Uh, he's got that uh, he's got that thousand yard stare thing going, where he's a, he's a little partied out. Um, he's like. <laughs> He's like the dude in Wayne's World where they pick him up. Phil, yeah. You gotta spew, spew into this. Yeah, he, he's Phil in this moment. Yeah. He's a little partied out. Um, and uh, yeah, he's freaking out and he wants out. So he wants to fling the door open and it seems like he's pretty resigned to his fate of being chomped to death by this, <laughs> this big monster. Um, and meanwhile, his friends are like, hey, Pete, maybe do us a favor and don't open the door. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I got all credit to this actor again. So he had a, he had stunt credit for running around on a wet rooftop, and he also gets like some like slow clap like stunt credit for taking a nasty bump. Like Frank flings him across the room in, into like a barrel, and it's like wow, that looked painful. Um, anyway, the big daddy is at the door uh, because they've been making way too much noise up there. So it's found them, and it's it's breaking the door down. And I want to say that the door smashing was achieved via miniature. I, guess, mm. I think they had a, a puppet alien that they, they built like a miniature door frame. Because like actually breaking a door down is you know a whole big production. Um, so I think they built like a miniature set for it to smash around in. And uh, then we have the, uh, the finale with the monster. So Charlie, we've been cutting back, back to him fairly routinely uh, for the past several minutes of him like scheming. So he's got like a bunch of tools and stuff. He looks like him the tool man <laughs> like running around with like a tool belt and a bunch of gadgets and stuff and uh do you remember how this went down no god damn it <laughs> god damn it god. i was warming up my breakfast burrito i think during this part okay i've got a i got a late start i literally woke up at nine i'm like oh shit i gotta get this movie going like immediately so i was still kind of out of it okay well uh so charlie uh is in his room and he is stuffing flash powder into a mannequin head which yes. he, which he happens to have we you know we've actually set this up pretty mm-hmm. well yeah. um then he cuts a uh, electrical cord off of his lamp and he just runs off with the cord he's way too creative 
He's he's too much. This kid's too creative. Uh, this kid's gonna burn something down someday. Oh yeah, something involving fire. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, but for now, it's very helpful. But yes, in the future, houses will be burned, mm-hmm. and he'll he'll be there to watch. Um, so he skewers the mannequin head on a ski pole, which he actually obtains in the attic. So he goes up into the attic with the monster and all the teenagers, and uh, he kind of baits the monster by trying to make noise to make it come to him instead of the teenagers and uh the lamp that like there's a lamp up there that gets knocked over and frank wisely catches it before it hits the ground thereby attracting the monster's attention again and uh charlie screams at the monster to get it to eat the head that he has on the ski pole and it eats the head um, and he has to, like, fight off one of its other heads, because it has many, many heads, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, with the other ski pole, so he skewers it with that. Um, there's this cool moment where it's, like, chewing on the mannequin head, and we see the electrical cord being, like, taken down its gullet, mm-hmm. and he has to, like, reach into its mouth. And it's like, that's a really uncomfortable thing to do for something this mean and nasty, but he, like, reaches into its mouth to, like, grab the electrical cord just before it gets swallowed. Uh, <laughs> And then on his tool belt, he has an extension cord that he plugs it into, yeah. so he can plug it into the far wall. And when he sees the outlet, Sam Raimi, like, cinematography, just zoom! <laughs> it's like a snap zoom. It's it's wonderful. Um, but before he can plug in the cord, uh, a like a two-foot-long tadpole falls on his back and starts gnawing on him. And uh, he is actually saved by that, because the Big Daddy notices him and makes a move for him and instead of eating him it grabs the the tadpole off of his back and eats its own kind yeah um so it's not terribly smart i guess um eat now ask questions later yeah. exactly i have yeah. a dog like that yeah. i mean the structure of the thing is it it makes sense like it does it doesn't have eyes it doesn't have a nose it hunts by sound it doesn't look like it's very fast no it's the size of job of the hut yeah <laughs> i mean yeah it even has like a little bit of a pooch belly yeah yeah no it, it's not terribly fast but in terms of its structure it has no limbs it's all teeth it's mm-hmm. all mouth and all teeth like gary Busey, all teeth <laughs> <laughs> is that a podcast by the way all teeth yeah the uh, gary Busey podcast i mean you could just we could do an all teeth month where we do uh, gary Busey movies <laughs> Uh, Eye of the Tiger would probably get my uh, my pick. I need to see Silver Bullet. Ooh, that's a fun one. Yeah. I, I like that one. I've seen that one many times. Everett McGill's in there, too. We haven't covered Point Break, have we? No, mm. we've not. Yeah. Meatball Sub. Yeah. Two. Utah. Give me Utah. <laughs> no, I, I did watch that one at, at your urging. That was a very, very common uh, quote in the restaurant. That was just, yeah. How many you need? Give me two. Yeah. Two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love that somebody made an action figure of Gary Busey. From that movie? That has two meatball oh, subs. I should have to give me three of these things. In the blister pack, it has, like, it has him in the Aloha shirt, but it has two meatball subs. He has some Gary, Gary, uh, Gary, which one is he? God damn it. I just watched the movie with Gary Oldman, now I forgot Gary Busey. The, the Garys. Is... <laughs> one of the Garys. Uh, like, I think they're little things that he puts in movies. He's like, when he's about to eat the meatball sub, he's like, I can eat, I'm so hungry, I can eat the ass end of a dead rhino. I'm like, whoa. And then my favorite one is is uh, uh, Black Sheep, where he's like, I can go to your mama's house and start a small fire in her panties. I'm like, that was him that wrote that. Yeah, no, he, he does have a lot of Buseyisms. Um, Silver Bullet has a lot. Oh, does oh okay. Yeah, I can't rem- I can't recall on the spot, but 
It's all, a very Busey performance. All teeth month. I'm excited. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, the cord does get plugged in. Spoiler alert. And uh, unfortunately, though, again, because we're working with a shoestring budget and because I imagine the fellow who built this alien, um, one John Dodds, may have been slightly emotionally attached to the prop. I can see that. It is exploded off screen. It's it, I, I kind of like it. I kind of like the uh, the edit here. It's fun. It, it's fun, but at the same time, it's like... Explode one, that thing. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's exploded. Like, it, it's like, I can't help but remember that, you know, virtually all, you know, genre films of this ilk post-Jaws owe a thing or two to Jaws. So it's like, blow that shark's head off. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. Or at least do the stupid where it's like, you have it on. You just have a still of it, and then something else explodes. Yeah, like just, yeah, yeah. You just put a you put a a, a, a frame of white in there, and yeah. then just blow it all over the walls. Yeah, yeah. do that, and just you remove the prop and put the blood on the walls. But yes, the explosion that they do is practical, and it's like just yeah. It, it's all done very similar. We didn't to have the, CGI blood, so yeah. yeah. Very similar to the earliest kills in the movie. We plug in the cord, we hear an explosion, and then blood hits the wall. Yeah, and then we show the aftermath. Yeah, I really wish that for this last scene, this last bit where we're like, we're hunting. Basically, the cops have come and we're trying to hunt down all these little things all around. There's no guns. Nobody has a gun. It's all shovels. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, that was weird. Like may- maybe it was like a, a state regulation or something. Like maybe- no loud noises. Well, I mean, it's it's more it's more fun to see like a bloody shovel and like somebody smashed it. But well, and also they're they're wormy things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. You can get them, yeah, but yeah, but it, I mean, this this whole sequence is very reminiscent of George Romero's *Night of the Living Dead*, the the epilogue of that, where uh, you know, basically we're showing everybody rounding up the zombies and stuff, mm-hmm. um, handling the situation after it's already started. Um, but yeah, this this sequence uh, is basically like the the cool down where uh, we get a reprise of that lovely title music. Um, it's now daytime. It's no longer raining. And we, we get all these scenes of cops and just locals running around uh, killing tadpoles. And uh, they even have like a little, it's a very little bonfire going where they're tossing all the corpses into it. So it's like they're doing their best to clean up the situation. And uh, we see like like the bar, the bodies being carted off in like, like am- ambulances and whatnot. Um, this is where I, I saw a borough of Bernardsville on one of the cop cars and I hooked it up. It's New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> this movie is, is in New Jersey. Um, and we see Frank and Kathy are together, and they seem a little shell-shocked, but yeah. pretty cozy with each other. And uh, Aunt Millie arrives from Gam Gam's house, and uh, sh- she sees uh, Pete, the uh, young scientist, is in complete shock. Uh, he's hauled off in an ambulance. Uh, Charlie is in a shock as well, um, and he's carted off in a cop car along with her. And then uh, our, uh, our final scene here, Kyle... Um, I'm curious, what, what was your feeling on this one? The guy's talking on the phone. He's like, yeah, I found one that was like eight feet long or whatever. They're so big. <laughs> so big. Yeah, they're so big. And then the guy, I don't, does he see it, uh, the big giant one? Or is it just we end on that? Uh, so we do see it. Uh, so basically it's now night. And we get, again, the same miniature exterior of the house at night. And there's apparently some cops just like patrolling around looking for the tadpole things. And there's a couple of cops uh, chatting on the radio. And the one guy's like, 
yeah, you should have seen it. It's like, we found one. It was like three feet long out there. And he's like, oh, well, that's nothing. Like, we found one in the attic at this house that was like eight feet long. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, shit, I guess they just keep getting burger. Put a pin in that for two seconds from now. <laughs> yeah. um, so we hear a rumbling, and the one cop, like, puts his ear to the ground and stuff. And we hear on the radio some screams and stuff, but then the one dude that we were seeing on camera, uh, he looks off into the middle distance, and then we cut back to that miniature exterior of the house, and the hillside next to it like raises up to reveal a giant maw of teeth. So uh, one of one of the alien creatures survived and has somehow grown to be the size of a city block. Mm-hmm. Um, and then cut to jazz flute and uh, <laughs> credits. <And> credits. <laughs> but what what do you think of that ending? It was kind of it was a cool ending. I like the uh, the the giant one at the end sequel setup. Kyle's a big fan of pessimistic endings. Oh, yeah. Kyle likes his horror movies to have cruel endings. (laughs) And I I agree. Um, This this kind of ending, uh, as a little kid in particular, would really... It would upset me, but it would be that kind of upset where it's like... And then you put your your hands over your eyes, but then you keep taking them off because you're like attracted to it while also repulsed by it mm-hmm. um an ending like this is uncomfortable because it's like oh that's a really big problem yeah, that's a huge problem <laughs> well and also it's a reminder that it's like any one of those things could probably you know become that so it's like this is like a potential end of the world scenario it's too bad kenny Loggins hadn't written uh or top gun hadn't come out yet because that would be how you would, i'm like i'm like how are they gonna take care of that i'm like oh you're gonna need to shoot it with uh with jets basically yeah well, I mean, a lot of uh, B-movies did end that way. Like, if memory serves, uh, I think it's Clint Eastwood's first uh, acting role. Um, he was a he was a fighter pilot in uh, Tarantula uh, from, I think it was 55. Um, but yeah, I mean, jets, planes, that was like, in, like in the, the age of King Kong, that was like the coolest shit we had to throw at situations like that. So yeah, that, that would be the answer to that. And if you had a bigger budget... Yeah, I mean, you better believe I'd love to see some F-14 Tomcats on fucking wires slinging missiles at a big rubbery puppet monster. That would be hilarious. I'd love that. Forget how old he is. But yeah, he was 25 in 1955. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I seem to remember that being a trivia factoid about that movie. No, Revenge of the Creature was his first His film. first, okay. Yeah. Well, it was, it was 1955. Oh, I'm good. I'm yeah. good. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I enjoy this movie. Um, I was actually... Uh, looking up uh, Night of the Creeps uh, just before Kyle showed up at the apartment to start recording because like one because I like that movie and uh, two because I was just curious what year that one came out because as I as I said earlier on this recording um, we we had a lot of these kinds of movies in the 80s mm-hmm. a lot of throwback like 1950s era monster movies and whatnot and Night of the Creeps uh, very much fits into that category to some extent as well so I was just curious which one came first this one uh, by at least three years, um, but that's a that's a someday I'd like to talk about. I don't know. Have you seen that one, Kyle? Which one? Night of the Creeps. No, I like that one. Good, really good. Tom Atkins, <laughs> um, and a very fun concept as well. Uh, also, uh, Fred Decker uh, was I forget if he wrote and directed it or just directed it, um, but he's a <laughs> he's worked on a lot of cool movies over the years. Uh, the Monster Squad also kind of fits into this throwback 1980s monster movie kind of thing he also did that um anyway that's a different conversation though but yeah this was our first of our uh, vhs cover arts uh, discussions for the month um kyle will have the pick next week 
Uh, do you know what you want to go with first, or you want to admit to think about that one? I can't remember which one will come first, but it's... Well, it's it'll okay. be a surprise, but yeah, Kyle has the pick next week, so uh, rest assured it'll probably be a very, very different experience than this one. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was uh, The Deadly Spawn slash uh, Return of the Aliens colon The Deadly Spawn slash The Return of the Aliens's Deadly mm-hmm. Spawn from 1983 directed by douglas McEwen. um that being said uh folks at home if you'd like to catch up on any of our other catching up on cinema content you can find all of that on our website at catching up on cinema.com you can also find us on the social medias on the instagram at catching up on cinema and the twitter at catching cinema so feel free to hit me up at either of those and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine including bitcade so fucking google it Mm -hmm. that being said thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next time google it yeah we're checking to see if the movie's as good as the cover art (laughs) more or less it's not gonna work out (laughs) it's not gonna work out like not even once (laughs)